Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our, our final episode this week with Adam Miller. Uh, I'm joined here by my co-host, Andy Ellis. Hello, everyone. And uh, it's been such a treat to get to hang with Adam uh, a bit this week and catch up with him. And today's episode, we are going to really dive into the nuts and bolts uh, of guitar playing. And we're going to talk to Adam about this idea he has about viewing the fretboard as a piano. I'm always fascinated. I've been playing guitar, you know, more than half a century, and I'm always fascinated by different perspectives of how we look at the strings and the frets. Yeah, it's... And how they, and how they relate to each other. And Adam has something to say, I'm not going to tell you what it is, that I had never heard before with the thousands of guitarists I've spoken with over the years. This is just a, a little twist. Sometimes all you need is a little twist, but it's a twist on the thing that we all chase. Huh. Yeah. Chasing frets. <laughs> and, like, you know, the point we keep coming back to is that there are so many different ways to play a single note on the guitar. And yeah. that's kind of, that's the coolest thing about the guitar and also the biggest pain about the guitar yeah. is that we have this kind of dichotomy. And yeah. just like with Joey and Joey Landreth and Matt Smith in previous episodes... It's how how somebody views the fretboard, even in just a conceptual way, like tells me so much about their playing. Like when we were talking about, we touched on this episode a little bit about Lenny Bro, and 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 uh, Adam plays some examples. Like after he played that example, that made me want to literally just like, okay, stop the podcast. I'm gonna go grab my guitar. I need to work this out because it's it's that kind of idea. That's it's simple to understand, but you got to put in the hours and time to make it work, you know? And it's never too late. No. We're not on a race. There's no finish line and uh, the clock is ticking. It's just, this is our life. For those of us who embrace guitar as lifers, this is our life. Mm -hmm. And anytime someone comes around and dangles something in front of me and goes, have you thought about it this way? And I go, "Uh, no. Kind of relates to how I, but I know that's new. That's new. Yeah. Wow, that can set me out for months. Oh yeah. On glorious expeditions. Oh yeah, and so this this is a real like hands-on lesson. So after you listen to this episode today, you know, take some time and and try to put in some of these ideas Adam's talking about into, into your own playing. So uh, just remember, Adam has a new album out called Unify, uh, which is an electric trio record, which is super hip. So you can head over to his website and, and check that out. And you can hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. 
So uh, we've uh, we've talked long enough, Andy. Let's uh, dive right in. Let's dive right into this uh, this episode with Adam Miller. So a lot of my favorite players, uh, Adam, tend to be pretty heavily influenced by jazz. I know earlier this week we talked about Schofield. We've mentioned Bill Frizzell. And and I know one of uh, Andy's favorite players is Lenny Bro. And what I hear among some of the more mm. uh, harmonically interesting players of that genre is their ability to really treat the piano, especially in their chord voicings, uh, or treat the guitar in their chord voicings a lot more than what you would do with a piano as far as how they they construct their chord voicings, reaching having these really stretchy chords that gives you these really cool, interesting clusters. And one of the topics you threw out that we're going to hit today is how you view the fretboard as a piano. And you mentioned this is kind of built from uh, a series of clinics you've done at colleges and universities before. So give me kind of the the, the general gist of, of mm. what you think about when you when you say the, the fretboard is a lot like a piano. Okay. Well, it's actually even more simplified than that. And it goes back to, I started playing the organ wow. when I was four years old. Um, like a church organ or like a Hammond organ? Oh Yeah, let's say a Hammond. No, okay. I'm talking like <laughs> the Yamaha one that had the beats in it. That everyone, like most houses had in the corner in the early 80s, which is when this was. So um, I did, the, I studied the Yamaha method, which was actually a, pretty hip thing because it did focus on mm. ear rather than reading music in a lot of ways. So I think it was pretty foundational to my approach to music from then on. Like I, I remember writing songs and using some weird graphical method to remember what they were because I was super into Star Wars as a kid and space and wanted to be an astronaut. I remember writing a song called The Moon Song. And had some graphical method to remember how it went. <laughs> Obviously, because the melody wasn't good enough to remember at the time, I'm guessing. So, that being said, I picked up the guitar when I was about eight or nine. Because my dad had one. He can't play at all, but he uh, was a primary school teacher and had to study the guitar at one point. So, there was a guitar in our house. And when I first picked it up, you know, most people someone shows them a chord or someone shows them, you know, a song or a riff or something. I basically looked at it and, you know, played an open string and then put my finger down and went, oh, okay. So that's that, uh, you know, someone, I think I knew that one of the, the highest string was an E and I went, oh, so that's that. And so if that's there, that's an F. And then I just managed to work out that, every note on every string before mm. I even played anything. So when I was looking down, I was literally seeing on your low E, you know, white, white, black, white, black, white, black, white, white. Like I was seeing the keys mm. of the piano straight away. So it meant like the fretboard instantly opened up to me. So no matter where I was, like you could go, oh, what note's this up here? And I just go, what's well, hey, Can't you <laughs> Can't see you that? Can't you see it? Um, yes. So, so, yeah, so so from from the very moment before I ever learnt to play a chord, I was aware of every note 
everywhere on it and what it was. And while I didn't have the harmony information to actually translate that, it's always been that thing where I can constantly see where every note is. So I'm aware of what note I'm playing. And then when I was learning more complex chords, you know, like getting into major sevens and then extensions, I was instantly seeing, oh, okay, because that note is there. Like in an A major seven, it's got a G sharp in it. So that's how I would instantly see it. And then if we're starting to talk like dominant sevens, I go, oh, okay, so A7 has that G in it. So that means now when I play an A major scale, I can't play a G sharp. I've got to play a G. I've got to play the dominant seven now. And that sort of approached my way through theory because I I had great teachers when I was young and I'm talking like from the ages of like eight to 12 and then sort of sport took over in my life. And so I wasn't, like I played guitar still and I was good, like so good that friends in high school wouldn't let me be in their, um, you know, Nirvana style bands cause I was too good for them. But the, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't formally study jazz or anything. So I was, I kind of developed all these things on my own and it was only when I started so I did actually teach at a university in Australia for wow. nine years, eight years. Um, uh, you know, predominantly in, I would get the, the jazz and the fingerstyle solo guitar students for the most part. Um, but it was, it was really only when I started there where I went, oh, wow, so that is that mode. You know, I'd heard the names forever, but I didn't actually ashamedly somewhat now actually know them, but I'd already played them all because I was always translating the chord back to what scale sort of had to be under it and what I had to change. I knew my major scale and my minor scale and that was it. And so it was like from there I could sort of build anything after that. Did you start with the, the natural or, or Ionian before going to pentatonics? Uh no, I definitely would have started pentatonics okay. first, but I still remember like that time of going, yeah, but the pentatonic doesn't work because the third should be major, not minor. It's just the blues, man. Like, just play the blues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was like that instant thing of going, oh, no, that's, you know, it's cool if it's like, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't deal with that. I was like, it's got to be there. And then that's when you realize, oh, it's yeah. actually somewhere in between and it's, it's all about resolving yeah, to that yeah. third and yeah. So, um, yeah, that was sort of, that's sort of the building blocks of it. And then it, you know, it in informs everything I do from there to the point, like the one embarrassing side effect of this is that I am almost entirely useless with a capo. Like oh. I can't use a capo at all because if, if the capo's there, then it's, I can't think that, so if someone, like a singer-songwriter gives me a chord chart to play along and they're like, oh, it's in, you know, this song, they, they'll give you a chord chart that's like, it goes G to C, but it's capo fourth fret. Like that makes no sense to me, even if like with a capo, because I'm like, no, that's B. Right. I right. That's where my brain right. starts to freak out. It, it, yeah. Uh, this is amazing because... You know, I've I've taught many years myself, and 
of course, been a student, still am, and interviewed many guitarists, but I've never heard this particular twist on it, that you picked up the guitar and saw the notes arrayed as if you had six parallel, not sequentially parallel keyboards, but, you know, offset, six offset keyboards, you know. And the stumbling block that I have found... The, the guitar is a wonderful instrument, but it does have this one particular thing for most people, which is that it has, it's a series of horizontal and, per, uh, you know, perpendicular lines. And when mm. people start learning guitar, you described it a minute ago. You said they, they learn a chord and another chord, you know, and they, and they, they get these forms. Mm. And they may not even know that this D chord that they've learned has, you know, your first finger is on the five and then your third finger is on the root and then your second mm. finger is playing the third and then away you go. They're not thinking that. Yeah. They just get this grip, you know. And the, and the hardest yeah. mountain to climb for so many guitarists, even very, 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 very accomplished, let's say rock guitarists, who can play, can, can just destroy a, mm. a hall of people, just send them into you know, outer space with their playing. But at the same time, they can't often get past this grid of perpendicular lines. And so uh, mm-hmm. that's why so that's why tab is so popular because it doesn't it doesn't reference whether it's an E flat or a D. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a number. Number. And it deals with the perpendicular yeah. lines. It's a number on, a per, on, on, on the horizontal line for the tab. But how do you, you know, for so many guitarists, they have to break that open to see that indeed there is actually music that follows uh, a pattern, you know, of, of harmony. You know, to see the harmony arrayed on the fretboard. Aha, root third and yeah. if I lower the third I get a minor third and there's a yeah. that's the essence of a minor chord and you were sort of born that way and had to acquire the mm. guitar side of it where so many guitarists get the physical thing but they don't get the musical side of it, it they have to fight for it yeah it's it wasn't as simple as that for me so when I started I knew what notes I was playing I didn't know their relevancy like I wasn't thinking that's the first, that's the third, that's the third. I knew like if I'm playing a D chord, that's D, that's A, that's mm-hmm. D, that's F sharp. So that was that, you know, that was still things I had to progress and learn because while I was playing organ, I was terrible. <laughs> it's not like I was any sort of virtuoso. Like I was just, I just happened to do it. And that's why I saw things that way. I think the one thing about the guitar that makes it so difficult. And it's the same thing when you're talking about sight reading and those sort of things as well, is that we have so many options for the one note. And that's what everyone sort of forgets about. Like if you've got the E above middle C pitch wise, which is your high E string, uh, this is not where it's written on a guitar chart. You know, you can play it open, fifth fret, there, 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 if you've got a 24 fret guitar, you can play that same note in six places. So whenever you're thinking about anything, your brain is in this thing of going, but which one do I use? Even though you don't realize that, you know, the default is if you play E, you play the open E. But once you start to 
embraced the the idea of that you can play that these same notes everywhere and make um and I would say it's probably like tonal choices is the main thing. It's how each note sounds different on each string. The guitar becomes a really incredibly fascinating uh, technical instrument. And you kind of just realize how insane it is that we have to deal with that. Because even when, um, you, and I'm sure it's not for anyone, everyone, but so many like violinists, like when they learn to play a note, it's played in one spot mm -hmm. because the whole orchestra has to play the same note and they don't want different intonations right. of that note. So when you learn a note, it sort of is mm -hmm. just there from the point of view, but on a guitar, it's just, we're just sort of screwed and, you know, we get a bad rap for not being <laughs> able to read, but you know, if, if you got on a piano and middle, there were five middle C's to choose from, yeah. you'd be screwed yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. One thing I've loved about doing this podcast and talking to all these different guitar players is understanding all these different ways that they're able to view the fretboard. Now mm. you mentioned before your, uh, lack of fluidity when it comes to capos. Now, yeah. does, that, <laughs> does that also cross into, uh, alter tunings at all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty screwed there too. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, uh, it's, the, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It's like changing the piano. Like yeah. if you change the piano, I, I don't know where I am anymore. And it would it would probably eventuate in me finding things the way most guitarists do, where you put your finger down and you go, oh, yeah. wow, listen to that. It's like amazing and different, but it just, I, I, I'm talking a lot about limitations this week, but it's, it's one of those limitations that's really helped me in that I, because I can't, cannot see things in open tunings anymore I've developed ways in standard tuning to make it sound like open tuning so that when I play chord voicings they're extended and you know have overlapping notes so it sounds like it's and making full advantage of like open strings and that sort of thing so that it has that idea of open tuning a lot of people at shows, especially solo shows, are like, well, what tuning was that song in? And I was like, the, the normal <laughs> one. And I, you know, I do have this this joke where, okay, so, sorry, bear with me, guys, this next song's in an alternate tuning, and it's just... Okay, that's it. <laughs> like, that's that's the most advanced alternate tuning I, I can use and still see the notes. Yeah. So. <laughs> that mm. That's funny. I, I, that reminds me of a, a story one time John Knowles told me um, when, uh, when Lenny Bro first came to Nashville, John was going to take Lenny down to meet Chet Atkins. And so he calls up Chet, yeah, come on down to the office. <clears throat> Lenny brings the guitar. He, they're in the office, and Lenny plays for Chet. And at this time, obviously, Chet was a very accomplished, very well-known guitar player. And so mm. he's playing a song for Chet, and Chet's looking at him very, like, intently, you know, and, and John is, and is kind of watching him, seeing Chet's reaction. And so Lenny gets done playing the song, whatever it was, standard or something. And, and Chet kind of looks at him and looks at John, and then he leans over and asks Lenny, he goes, what tuning are you in? And it was yeah. just standard tuning. Lenny, you know, yeah. and As f I could be wrong because I often am, but <laughs> about everything. But um, I was there in Nashville, living in Nashville at that era, 
John Knowles introduced me to Chet yeah. and to Lenny. It just happened to be that I dropped into Nashville at that time. And I, I would go see Lenny play these little clubs. When I say supper clubs, I mean, there were restaurants with stages, you know, and so, like, they'd serve dinner to a certain, you know, mm. till nine or something, and then the music would start at ten. I don't know. Mississippi Whiskers places. And Lenny would get up there, and it, speaking of solo guitar and electric versus acoustic, which we did earlier this week, Lenny often played mm. his Tom Holmes electric seven mm. string, which was, whoa, because Lenny had a high A, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'd see him also play six string a lot. I mean, he, he always sounded like Lenny on a six string. Mm. But as far as I know, he never touched the tuning. It was always standard tuning as far as I know. And I could be wrong, but he, yeah. he, uh, God, I, I took a lesson with him too, you know. And he had this thing, and Adam, I see this in your playing too, <clears throat> and it's probably uh, drawn mm. from the Charlie Hunter idea, but what Lenny would do mm. is he would voice two keynotes, and I don't mean necessarily key as in the, the key, but, you know, essential notes, two essential notes, yeah, yeah. threes and sevens typically, yep. and he'd voice them on the sixth and fifth string or maybe sixth and fourth string, but, you know, on the low strings with his middle mm. and ring finger on his fretting hand, you know, so his second and third fingers. He'd voice those leaving his index and, and pinky, his first and fourth finger, free to play the melody. So he'd go comp, comp, mm. comp, 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 comp on the low strings. Comp, comp, ka-chomp, comp, comp. And all of yeah. that was just two fingers, you know. It was his first and fourth finger doing the ba doo ba ba It was crazy. Yeah. And it sounded musical. He never... Um, it was never uh, that he was straining. No straining, mm. no like, set my jaw, I'm going to do something amazing for you. I'm going to shred now. You you get down yeah. and worship me here. No, he was just... Yeah, it's just, I think it's that thing where the, the musical genius comes across subtly. <laughs> like, the average person can just go, oh, wow, that's, that's really yeah. beautiful, <laughs> cool. And then even, you know, sort of the novice guitar player will go... Oh yeah, okay. Well, he's not playing very fast, <laughs> but then the you know the guys in the know are just there going, "What? How is how is?" And this remember, all this happening? is Nashville, <laughs> the guitar ninja. This is Nashville, so yeah, all yeah. the session guitarists yeah. would all show up. I mean, these are guitarists who are amazing guitarists in their own right. Yeah. You know, playing on records and and having huge careers, and everyone would just sit there and watch Lenny play and go, "What planet did you drop in from?" <laughs> And I think like seeing, well, I know for me, like that whole thing of seeing the, the guitar with those, being able to instantly see the notes and their relation to things, you know, was the biggest foundation in me being able to bring that improvisation to solo guitar, like sort of very instantly in the, the way that I could uh, separate the parts and see, you know, what the baseline had to do and then how that would work uh interact with a melody for one but then with an improvisation so that you can get the most out of 
And let's be honest, most fingerstyle guitar is two notes or even just one note happening at a time. And it's about their interaction between the things. It's sort of not as much about playing huge amounts of things at once. But once you get that, um, let me just get out my <laughs> alternate tuning for a second. Uh, uh, so, you know, like if, if I'm playing like an improvisation, so I'm going to do like a one to five in the bass. This is in the key of A. So you've got... You know, when I approach an improvisation of that, I want to complete the harmony by, I want to put in the rest of the information, even if I'm improvising, I'm thinking this way. So, you know, I want to focus around the major third. So you can hear this is a an A7 chord that I'm playing over. So I'm going, the improvisation will focus around the third and the seventh. So you get this... Now, with that same bass line, if the progression is a minor chord, now I can focus around the, the minor third, and then it will sound like the whole thing is over an A minor chord. So you get this. You know, being able to see those relationships, we, I, I, I don't know how you, I, I can't imagine seeing it any other way. I guess that's sort of the thing when you get to a point where you go, I, I don't, sometimes when I'm teaching these things, if people can't see these things, I'm like, ah, now I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. It's for me because it was always sort of, it was the instant reaction to the instrument. They were the things I could see and they've mm. certainly... Um, yeah, made a lot of, especially my solo playing possible. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for joining us this week, all the way from the future in Australia. Mm. And uh, make yeah. sure everybody go and check out his new record, Unify, which is mm. available wherever recorded music is streamed or purchased. And uh, thanks again, Adam. We'll talk soon, man. Thank you so much for having me. Great to talk to you guys. <laughs>